what does it mean to invest with impact? How did a passion for surfing and an encounter with a gambling company drive a desire to invest with impact? And importantly, what does it mean to invest and continue to make an impact during a global pandemic? Let's find out next. Welcome to the seventh episode of Fundamentals, an equity-focused series on the Federated Hermes podcast channel. I'm Ethan Devitt, Head of Investment Ireland at the firm. On the sixth episode of Fundamentals, I was joined by our US SMID team to discuss some of the themes that they are seeing in their universe, as most of the markets seemed exuberantly focused on large caps and tech stocks. We discussed the challenges of finding time to engage with companies amid a flurry of new distractions. Let's remind ourselves of what Mark Sherlock, Senior Portfolio Manager, had to say. If you roll back a few years, um, interest from small and mid-cap businesses in ESG um, issues was minimal for the reasons that you outline, uh, really around um, you know, scarcity of resources. They just didn't have people to, um, to, to look at some of these issues. Um, you know, an example that I, that I use is that there's a, a company that we own that makes a well-known uh, lubricant used uh, for everything from sort of car engines to bicycles to uh, industrial machinery um, and we had the CEO in um, five years ago and we started talking about some ESG related issues and he said look Mark um, in the nicest possible way I'm not interested in any of this I'll do the minimum amount required by law um, and, and and no more which obviously was a rather disappointing response you fast forward five years and that same CEO um, has now, you know, is now espousing the virtues of ESG uh, and his product with regards to ESG by, for example, extending the life of machinery that would otherwise be scrapped, um, championing the the, the uh, project they have ongoing to reduce the amount of uh, aluminum and plastic in the in the cans that they create, and so on. So the point really is just to illustrate the sea change there. That theme peering through the noise of the current upheaval to keep companies focused on their trajectory to improve and do good is one that we will revisit here as we look to explore some of the themes that our impact equity capability is focused on. We're also going to look at how they tie back to the sustainable development goals. As we record this in mid-September, COVID-19 news flow is often eclipsed by political chatter as the US presidential election approaches, while in Europe, Brexit and how it will manifest itself remains a focus. Some of what was once deemed the new normal is no longer new, as whole workforces settle into an autumn and winter of remote working. Schools have reopened in places and lockdown restrictions ebb and flow, as many societies anxiously wait to see what the colder weather will bring in terms of illness. And yet our investment themes continue to evolve, often accelerated by the changes that COVID has wrought. In this episode of Fundamentals, I'm joined by Ingrid Kukulian, Head of Impact Investing, and Martin Todd, Co-Portfolio Manager on the Impact Investing and European Teams. Welcome, Ingrid and Martin. We've had both Martin and Ingrid on the podcast before, so we've heard a little about their own investment journey. So instead, on this one, I'd like to dive straight into impact and what it means to them. Let's start with Ingrid. Ingrid, why is impact investing particularly of interest to you personally? Well, many things, Ethan, but if I had to single out one factor, it was my passion for surfing and the sea in general. I have witnessed firsthand the devastation we have caused to nature. Whilst visiting what was supposed to be eco-paradise destinations, 
which turned out to be plastic paradise destinations. Instead of sea life, I found myself surrounded by waste and plastic. I know it's not yet a hot investment topic, but for me, the threat to biodiversity is at par with climate change, if not more urgent. We are living on borrowed time, and it is important to support companies which are tackling the biggest problems facing our planet and people, like helping to make the air clear, providing access to clean water, helping protect wildlife, democratizing education and financial inclusion, and help people live healthier lives whilst also helping everyone towards a common goal of making our planet and our society a better place. Thanks, Ingridan. And obviously that directs um, will relate directly back to um, certain sustainable development goals, such as number six, clean water and sanitation, number 14, life below water, and number 13, the climate action goal. So it's, um, I just want to keep reflecting back on how intertwined so many of these goals are with your um, impact investing approach. Uh, Martin, over to you. Um, why is impact investing important to you personally? I think one of the experiences for me which really catalyzed it was a number of years back, I met with a, a gambling company and uh, the chief executive of the company. We were talking about the impact of some of their products and services that they were providing and the issue around problem gambling. And ultimately, in that conversation, they admitted that they could uh, take some of the machines out of their shops and some of these machines which are particularly associated with problem gambling but in doing so ultimately they would harm the bottom line and that the profit incentive was too great and shareholders wouldn't want to see them back away from that activity given the, the good profits they were making and that was an interesting experience for me and it told me a lot about where that company was going um, and you know, do I really want to be investing in companies where there is that negative harm of the product or service? And ultimately, there are lots of companies where there's a, a benefit from that product and service. And um, I'd rather focus my time and I think it's more fulfilling to invest in those companies um, which are innovative and trying to address some of the underserved needs in society. And so for the last four years, I've been managing a sustainable focused European equity fund um, where we've had this positive bias towards companies who are leading the way when it comes to managing their uh, environmental, social and governance responsibilities. And also uh, with a positive bias towards companies where the products and services are, again, helping to address some of these challenges that we face uh, in society and, and for the planet. That's a very profoundly moving story, Martin, and uh, I can see very much how that would link to a desire to to encourage more companies to do good. And let's we're using this term impact investing, but maybe we should back up a little and define it. Um, Ingrid, how does impact investing differ from ESG or sustainable investing? That's a good question, Ethan. Um, thanks for asking this, actually. So there are a couple of main differentiations. And I would say in simplistic terms, sustainable companies are those that don't do any harm. And those that seek to maximize long-term value creation by accounting for all the material ESGs. 
So impact investing goes beyond ESG and sustainability integration, which means that risk mitigation and avoiding harm are already a part of it. If you look at impact investing in the sphere of responsible investing, I would say that it is the final step because it gives investors the ability to quantify doing good for the society and the planet. So it goes one step further because it measures the company's output and it, it assesses its net benefit. And um, Martin, in terms of um, impact in the context of public equities, obviously we at Federated Hermes, we seek to make an impact through our engagement with companies. That's how we make an impact on, on I suppose, what they do. But how do you look at the um, about that impact, how we can make that impact, but also how do we look at the impact the companies themselves are making? How do we measure that? And I think importantly, how do we measure how that's improving over time or if it is not improving, if it's deteriorating? I guess there's a couple of parts to that. I think firstly, um, impact investing in public equities is really quite a, uh, it's really in the early stages. So um, previously it was considered that it was more the domain of, of private markets and philanthropy and um, but I see a couple of opportunities in um, or a couple of advantages from public equities in terms of impact investing uh, one is that equity markets um, are more accessible for investors um, unlike private markets and if as impact investors if we are really to help contribute towards meeting some of the sustainable development goals which is the framework that we use for our impact strategy then ultimately we need to mobilize a lot of capital towards those goals uh, i think the un themselves say that between five and seven trillion dollars is needed annually to help us achieve the un sustainable development goals so uh, public equities um, can have a big role to play in, in mobilizing that capital towards those uh, uh, de development goals. When it comes to the, the impact of these companies, uh, we measure um, that impact on an ongoing basis. Uh, we clearly monitor the progress that we believe the, the individual company is making through its products and services. And we're looking for an increased impact on a year-on-year -year basis. Um, and whether the way that we measure that varies by stock, it varies by theme, um, but ultimately uh, we speak and engage with the companies to get the granular quantitative detail so that we can monitor and we can track that impact. And we can provide that impact detail to our clients um, and we can get a sense both at stock and at portfolio level of the total impact that we are having as investors and ingrid just um digging deeper on that measurement point um is this essentially a quantitative exercise is it a qualitative exercise measurement it is actually both both a qualitative and a quantitative and i think what differentiates us is that we pride ourselves on our rigorous impact assessment and for us an impact label without accountability has no value as such, we have developed a proprietary database which quantifies the impact of each holding in the portfolio. As Martin just mentioned, 
we use different metrics for different companies, different sector, but the aim is the same, to quantify the impact that they are generating. And in this way, we want to show our investors how their funds have contributed to making the world a better place. So we will only invest in companies with a clear and measurable positive impact, be it on the environment or the society. And I want to tie it back to um, the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, because I know in your literature, you will always have that little emblem um, of the particular sustainable goal that is um, is reflected in one of your themes. Um, can you talk about how you how you develop that and um, why you always trace themes back to the Sustainable Development Goals? So the nine sustainable themes uh, stem from um, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, we analyzed the 17 goals and the 169 sub-targets as set out by the UN and looked to see which of these targets uh, could be addressed by uh, public equities. And we found that we could um, aggregate these into nine sustainable themes. Uh, and use that as a framework for identifying impactful companies and, uh, and new ideas, ultimately. Um, to talk about perhaps two, um, food security uh, is one of our nine sustainable themes. Um, goal two of the UN Sustainable Development Goals is zero hunger. Um, so that plays directly into goal number two. Uh, but it, it goes further than just uh, the provision of food. It's also about finding um, solutions to more sustainable agriculture, um, improved nutrition. And um, so there are a number of sectors and, and companies which can help address uh, that, that underserved need, um, whether it be a food company developing more plant-based products. Uh, it could be an agriculture company or it could be um, we've got some exposure with an industrial company which has uh, cutting edge uh, food sorting equipment which helps reduce waste. Another theme that we're investing in as part of the nine sustainable themes is circular economy and this is all around making more use of the scarce resources and uh, there are a number of uh, companies which we have exposure through in this theme uh, one is uh, an industrial company which uh, has pioneered the use of shared products in its services. So rather than a one-off use, um, they share the, the products that they, uh, they manage. Um, another is um, involved in recycling. Um, so is the leading provider of recycling machines uh, globally, uh, reverse vending machines. Um, so there are a number of ways of getting exposed to that circular economy theme, and it's really growing among the companies that we speak to. So we're confident that in themes like circular economy, that a lot of progress is being made um, towards the UN Sustainable Development Goals by 2030. That is that's so interesting. Certainly the shared economy is something we're all seeing a lot more um, to do with right now. So um, very interesting that that's part of one of your themes. And um, Ingrid, digging into the healthcare theme a little bit, because obviously with the COVID-19 pandemic, healthcare is top of mind for investors and all market participants, indeed, and consumers. Um, what are we seeing um, in that space right now? And uh, what kind of um, groups are making an impact? Sure. So um, let me start by how we actually generate our ideas. And it's a combination of 
impact and thematic investing, where we try to identify opportunities created by megatrends. One of the megatrends that we see affecting the society in a negative way, unfortunately, is the prevalence of chronic diseases. And we have been investing in what we consider to be global pandemics pandemics for quite a time now. So in terms of the healthcare exposure, we are trying to tackle um, all of the illnesses that we consider pose a big threat both to the society and to the healthcare budget. A good illustration of that would be diabetes, which in terms of the non-communicable diseases has the highest prevalence globally with about half a billion people affected by it at present. And this comes at the cost of about $760 billion annually. Unfortunately, as things stand now, both of these numbers are set to almost double in the next 20 years. So we are trying to get access to direct and indirect exposure to play these themes, such as medical device companies, insulin producers, as well as the likes of fitness companies, because in order for people to get healthier, you need to get fit and you need to eat better food. Some other healthcare exposure that we have is to plasma producers, which is also another critical global need in terms of healthcare. So we are trying to tackle what we call global pandemics. That's interesting. So you suggested that certain um, illnesses are pandemics, perhaps without reaching the headline level um, that COVID-19 is reaching now. So that if you can focus on these non-contagious, some of these non-contagious diseases, you can uh, address um, uh, a substantial need as well. It's a very interesting um, theme. As far as the vaccine um, development, um, you talked about plasma technology. Are there any themes that are related to, to biotech or vaccine development? No, we are not investing in biotech or vaccine development per se, but uh, we have investment in what we call impact enablers, and those are mostly life science companies where quite a few of them are involved in various stages of vaccine development. But we are not, this is not a theme that we have actually targeted uh, precisely as such. So, Ingrid, in terms of the demand you're seeing for impact investing over the past year, we know that aggregate assets under management in this area have risen by about 50%. They're close to $700 billion or, or more now in 2020. Um, has the coronavirus pandemic created some kind of a paradigm shift in terms of demand for impact strategies? And I think we all have seen areas that suggest that ESG funds have seen more robust inflows um, the non-ESG funds over um, recent months? So the crisis has resulted in a paradigm shift for responsible strategies, which up until this point were seen more as a risk mitigation tool. Investors were incorporating sustainability and ESG factors with a view to help them avoid companies that destroy shareholder value. What we are seeing is that COVID has made policymaker Companies and society as a whole realize the need to address and build resilience, healthcare, 
food and water security, supply chains, and it has also put a spotlight on climate and worker rights. This has been a big boost for impact investing in public markets, which, as Martin had just mentioned, up until about five years ago, were still seen as the domain of private markets, NGOs, and philanthropy. The reason why they have been put to the fore now is that the importance of SDG in delivery of the goals that I mentioned is more evident than ever, and it helps investors as well as the society understand where the world needs to be by 2030, as opposed to the original premise of where it wants to be. So in essence, SDGs give a clear roadmap to investors of where the work needs to be done and to monitor it. No, I, I like that idea of a roadmap because I think, um, you know, that that's, as, as I mentioned before, uh, my question to Martin around trajectory. What we want to see is not just a point in time, but I think a destination, which will obviously move over time. But equally, we want to see progress towards that destination. So I, I like that analogy. Um, speaking of, of maps and, and, and markets and destinations, uh, Martin, 2020 has been quite a volatile year, maybe surprising some of us in its um, relative strength. Um, how has your strategy fared during that period? And what would you attribute, um, you know, just the, those developments to? Yeah, as you say, it has been a very volatile year. And um, the start of this year when NASDAQ was hitting all-time highs in January and, and markets were elevated. Um, few, I believe, were predicting uh, what would unfold over the, the coming months. Um, we are pleased to say that the strategy has held up uh, well during this period, this very volatile period. And I think there's perhaps um, you know three reasons for that. Um, the first thing is uh, this ultimately is a bottom-up strategy and stock picking has played a, a key role in how well the strategy has held up. For example, during the market sell-off in March of 2020, we took the opportunity to add a couple of new names to the strategy uh, at very attractive prices. One was a, a US medical equipment company, one of the leading providers globally of continuous glucose monitoring systems uh, for people with diabetes. We believe their products offer a superior standard of care. And given the addressable market, uh, more than 500 million people globally with diabetes, and the huge cost of provision, we see clear positive impact from this business. Another a second stock that we added during the uh, March volatility as a European building materials company, another high growth business, uh, they are leading provider globally of insulation materials for buildings. And this is important as almost 40% of carbon emissions globally come from buildings and construction. Their better thermal properties and in their insulation allow a much lower cost of energy, less heating and cooling, and that provides huge carbon savings. And it also lowers the operating costs for the building owner. And therefore, there's demand pool, but also a very clear environmental impact from that. And therefore, you know, we were able to take that opportunity um, to buy it at a very attractive valuation during the volatile period in March. I think secondly, our preference from a financial point of view is to identify companies which have a strong balance sheet, which have 
a degree of control of their own destiny, which aren't um, at the whim of the economic cycle. And as such, when you see big drops in equity markets like we did, um, typically those companies with very strong balance sheets um, hold up better than the, the broader market. Um, and I think, so, thirdly, excuse me, is that ultimately the businesses we're investing in are addressing these unmet or underserved needs of society. And there's an element of structural growth in there, um, which again, isn't linked to the cycle, but it's more of a um, you know, structural move towards meeting some of these sustainable development goals. Um, and as such, uh, revenue growth has held up better. Um, so I think they're probably the three uh, drivers of the, the strong performance. And just when you speak about unmet needs being addressed, uh, it seems that there certainly has been an acceleration of many responses um, to this um, disruption we're seeing through COVID. A lot of that's related to, say, our remote working, um, the developments in technology. Um, is that kind of part of why you think some of your ideas have worked well, that there has been an acceleration of some of these trends? But similarly, is it true that some needs are being overlooked now? Uh, and I think maybe plastics, we, we mentioned that earlier in terms of the development of plastics and maybe improving that some of the supply chain um, it's factors there. Um, as we focus on producing more and more gloves and more and more disposable items, um, have some needs been overlooked? I, th I think, as you say, there's been an acceleration of a number of existing trends um, that the pandemic has certainly catalyzed some of these changes and really accelerated them. Um, and that has been to our benefit in a number of areas. Um, we mentioned before some of the impact enablers, uh, as we call them, um, in life sciences, for example. There's been a huge amount more investment in that area to ensure that we are prepared as a, as a planet for uh, any future pandemics. Um, and to the, to the point about whether this leads to us overlooking some other areas, um, I don't think it's as much that uh, investors and companies are overlooking the, the plastics problem. I think it's more just a function of that very rapid change or acceleration in e-commerce and in um, online delivery of products. Um, you know, plastic, uh, in many cases, is the cheapest and most flexible um, packaging. And I, I, I think it's a problem that will be solved over time. It's just that during this volatile period, um, you know, demand has driven an increased use of plastics. But on the other hand, it's driven a reduction in emissions, for example, um, when you know, most of the world was in lockdown in the first half of 2020. We saw uh, one of the biggest drops in uh, carbon emissions um, that we've seen. So there are some benefits as well on the other side um, during this uh, pandemic. Yes, for sure. And it seems that certainly this produces a lot of complexity. But from what I'm hearing, it seems that this volatility and complexity has provided with quite a lot of um, your team with quite a lot of investment opportunities, which is uh, is great to hear. Um, Ingrid, just getting back to one of the earlier points that we, we echoed from our discussion um, last um, podcast with the U.S. Smith team around engagement. What role does engagement play in the impact team investment process? 
that's a good question, Ethan, and it plays a very important role because we feel that if you're going to drive impact, you need to engage with the companies. And we are very fortunate that we have EOS in-house, a pioneer in global stewardship and a leading provider. So we have engaged with about 86% of our holdings over the last year, and we have engaged on the E, the S, and the G. And if I look at the breakdown, they're quite proportional in terms of engagement. And we have set some great successes in our engagement, for instance, with one of our holdings after a couple of years of intensive engagement, we have achieved that they do, they stop giving out loans to non-certifiable and non-sustainable palm oil producers. With another one of our holdings, we have helped them in achieving better diversity across their company. So we see this also as a part of our work to help the companies become more impactful and sustainable via engaging with them. Well, thank you for that, Ingrid. On that note, it's time to sound the closing bell. But before we do so, I'd like to thank Ingrid Kukulian, Head of Impact Investing, and Martin Todd, Co-Portfolio Manager on the Impact Investing and European teams for joining me today. Thank you so much, Ingrid and Martin. Thank you, Ethan. Thank you. Good to be here today. That leads me to present to you my key takeaways from today's conversation. So what do we learn? First, we learned that impact investing goes beyond ESG and sustainability. It goes one step beyond this by measuring the company's input and assessing its net benefit. Second, we learned that in order to measure impact, it's important not just to measure it from a qualitative standpoint. It's important to have a robust process in place for measuring the impact of an investment quantitatively and importantly, measuring how this is improving over time. Third, I think we learned that even in 2020, during a volatile period and a global pandemic, it's easy to find those companies who are continuing to make an impact by focusing on unmet needs and strong balance sheets. And finally, I know plenty of you are searching for podcasts to counteract the stress of the coronavirus lockdown. So here's my own podcast recommendation for this month. It's called Hidden Brain by NPR. Presented by Shakar Vedantam, it is a podcast that uses science and storytelling to reveal the unconscious patterns that drive human behavior, shape our choices and direct our relationships. In particular, during the summer, it has had a series called U2.0, which is designed to help us to train ourselves to improve in areas such as empathy or visualization of certain goals. I really recommend it. It's certainly good for the soul during a time like this. I'll be back next month with another episode of Fundamentals. In the meantime, if you enjoyed this podcast and don't want to miss upcoming episodes, please subscribe to the Federated Hermes podcast channels, Amplified and Here and Now. You'll find these channels on iTunes, Spotify and Google Play. Until then, I'm Ethan Devitt, Head of Investment Ireland at The Firm. Thank you for listening to Fundamentals. Thank you for listening to the Federated Hermes podcast. If you found it interesting and would like to listen to more podcasts from the International Business of Federated Hermes, please visit our website. Our podcasts are also available to download on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. These podcasts are for informational purposes only, and the views, information or opinions expressed therein 
are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the company and its employees. Performance should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. All performance mentioned is historical. Past performance is not a reliable indicator of future results and investors may not recover the full amount invested.